what I think I've just heard you say is you don't see a future where those functions even exist. Yes, you're going to get me in trouble there, Alistair, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy and Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, Chief Strategy Revenue Officer here at Revenue.io, joined by my infamous co-host, Howard Brown, pioneer in artificial intelligence, all things revenue science, and we are both thrilled to have with us today. Maha Pula, the Vice President of Global Presales at Cloudflare, also part of Stage 2 Limited Partners, Ignite, and just being a phenomenal thought leader in the world of sales and how it is changing. Maha, it's great to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here, Alistair. Now, Maha, we always like to start off with news of the week, and I'm going to go back to my roots here of Gartner and cite a Gartner news article. And they actually just released a few days ago their latest updates to the worldwide contact center market. Why I want to reference that is because they actually had a fascinating call out in there. And they said that the global conversational AI and virtual assistant market now represents the fastest growing segment in the world today in that area, helping spur 24% this coming year is the prediction. And they'd further go on to say, look, decision makers need to incorporate conversational AI as part of their long-term strategy to reduce reliance on live agents. And you know, you said there, there's a lot to unpack. Contact centers are often at the front end of kind of the volume side of sales and all of those things and just customer interaction. But as I think of that news, where I'd love to lean in with you today is, if they're saying that for that segment, what are we seeing in disruption in general across sales and the world that we are quickly moving towards now. Your thoughts, Maha and Howard? Not surprised to see that 24%. In fact, I'm more surprised that it's not higher. And why do I say that? Because the contact centers have always been one of the uh, areas where optimization first hits, right? I mean, look at the shift left conversations. All of those started with support centers and where there were people interactions trying to optimize how long it takes to resolve an issue, how many steps it takes to resolve an issue, how many escalations, right? So that's the area which prime for optimization. And then the knowledge and knowledge management, content management that supports and the shift left methodology happened. So it's not surprising. And perhaps I'd say that a little bit more of digging, there'll probably be more of those, uh, you know, there's more, probably more like 30% or 35% that is probably well on its way to going contactless contact centers, right? And, and so, well, this is going to definitely have an impact on our ability on how we sell, right? Let's not talk about it as sales, but how we sell, how we contact customers. We've seen this happen even pre-COVID. Pre-COVID has just accelerated a momentum that is already well underway early on. Uh, we've been talking about virtual selling as a methodology, you know, using more inside sales, right? In optimizing the sales process so more and more of the sellers can sell more and more. And then you've got the the bigger one, like let's call them enterprise sellers, shrinking over time, right? Uh, inside sales used to be when I started my career in inside sales was, was, a, was a small team. And most of my enterprise sellers were the larger team. 
But then over time, you see now it's gone to 35%, 40%. And now organizations are shifting. And that shift is not happening just for the people, but it's what kind of customers, what kind of segments that they support as well. So we'll get into that in a further down. But yes, optimization is happening and it is absolutely already having an impact on sales and how sales organizations are developed. And I, I'm going to see that happen more until there's going to be a reversal of how sales organizations are going to be designed and built. Howard, as we think about that mm-hmm. and you think about the changes that we're seeing in the enterprise space, I think Maha is exactly right. This isn't an evolution. It's a revolution that is now occurring. And I think a lot of organizations are struggling to revolutionize how they approach that, right? Like you still have, especially this past year, right? Maha's right. Coming into COVID, it, it created the impetus to drive virtual selling and all that. But this past year has been a tough economic environment for a lot of companies. And what do lots of heads of sales and what did lots of CEOs do then? They they go back to the you know their 1990s playbook. Ah, oh, well, we'll retrench. We'll just add people and whip harder, right? Deeper insights, more data. If we just do more volume and add more people, we'll get there. And and yet the buyer, the buyer is now saying sellers are not getting the time. They are not meeting the expectation, right? We know that sellers are only getting 19% of a deal cycle now. When they talk, the comment in the statistically, what buyers say is the conversations are worthless. That requires a revolution. Well, I didn't know if there was a question there that was quite a mic drop moment and and very fascinating and certainly we're seeing it every day and we feel it every day both as sellers and as buyers right if a buyer is experiencing the same thing we all are experiencing which is there's lots of content there's lots of information there's sites to go and get reviews and ratings on all of this stuff and then i talk to a seller that seller's not adding incredible value why do I need that seller at all? So on, on the one hand, the companies are looking to optimize, as you talked about, I think very astutely. On the other hand, there is the buyer and the customer that isn't having a great experience when they actually engage. So we not only have to optimize, but we have to improve the performance so that when people actually talk to that rep, they have that brand experience it is a positive one, not one they want to avoid at all costs. Totally. Uh, I know Alistair mentioned something about this uh, 19% of the buying time being available. You know, one of the Gardner reports actually says that a buyer engages the vendor for the first time after 70% of their buyer journey is complete. Now, look at this. It's This is unprecedented, right? Gone are those times when the customer would pick up the phone and say, hey, can you come and tell me a little bit more about this? No. I mean, car buying revolutionized this one ages ago, right? Now, the B2C selling methodologies, the expectations that customer have in the B2C space is shifting into the B2B space. And there is no excuse for not following that methodology, right? Because the digital tools are available, the collateral is available, the medium is available, AI is now ready and waiting, and perhaps listening to all of us talk. And, you know, the next time you Google, all we will see is something that we just talked about. It just happened to me yesterday. (laughs) We were talking about golf courses in the area, and then literally opened up Google, and it showed four top golf courses near where 
the town that we were talking about. It is always listening. So there are there is technology readily available to help buyers traverse more than 70% of their journey. So the organizations that are trying to sell to these buyers, B2B buyers or B2C, but B2B mainly what we are talking about, have already ready-made information available to them. So what happens now is your degree of influence, which you are manually expecting to happen, when you have this smartly turned out seller shaking hands, you know, and, and, and having a discussion with a buyer is gone. You don't get that leverage. You have to be there and influencing the buyer before. And that's happening more and more now. So to your point, Howard, is it's not the impact, it's the insights. So if an organization is first to provide the insights necessary to guide the customer through their buying journey and curate that buying process and influence it without a human, then they have already made a win because they have empowered or enriched that conversation a lot earlier without having human on the other end. So that buyer doesn't feel the pressure. They feel like they're not influenced. Uh, and then they just embark on a journey. So you now as a vendor make the top three list. So absolutely, this is sales 3.0. You know, the previous version of, you know, eight-legged, let's go out, let's go to a golf course, let's go have drinks, let's go have a dinner. That's still happening. But it did not, the, the contracts are not written there, right? The contracts are not written there. And sales 2.0 happened when we had this hybrid sales model where you were still throwing people at the problem. You still had a BDR and then you had a inside sales. And then the lead sort of traversed, made its journey slowly, slowly through the funnel. And then ended up with an enterprise buyer who then took out his, rolled out his sales methodology playbook and said, I'm going to qualify you, Mr. Buyer. Do you have a budget? Do you have this? And then as they go through whatever sales methodology they may have adopted, then the buyer gets to, you know, touch the product, contact with the product at that time, trials and all those things. The buyers don't have patience to do any of that stuff anymore. They're going to bypass all the steps above and they just say, you show me a demo. I know I know exactly what I want. Give me the car keys. I want to go and test drive this, maybe. And so that process is accelerated so significantly in organizations that cannot keep up with those. Those are the ones that are going to be falling behind. Whether you are a brick and mortar company or whether you're a startup, it doesn't matter. It's normalized across the two. Is my observation. My, I, I found it's a question there because a lot of companies are still using a fairly traditional model. They definitely, people are adapting using digital and other things for sure. But, you know, let's just pick any global enterprise and B2B sales today. And they're going to have SDRs, ISRs, they're going to have all of the, that piece. What I think I've just heard you say is you don't see a future where those functions even exist. Yes, you're going to get me in trouble there, Alistair, but that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying the function would not exist. The tasks will exist. Who's performing them and in what order is up to the buyer. It's not the decision of the vendor to guide the customer through this journey that is an inside-out model, but has to be outside-in. If I'm a buyer and I'm in a rush, can you, Mr. Vendor, sell me the way I want to buy? I have a credit card. Do you want to take my... $200 a month subscription that I want to buy in now. And oh, by the way, I don't want a subscription. I want a usage-based or consumption-based model. 
are you ready, Mr. Vendor, to sell it to me that way? If you don't have a plan that can sell to me, take my credit card, and then I buy it that way, then you know what am I going to do? I'm going to go to the, another vendor, even if I'm part of an enterprise organization that has a contract with you, Mr. Vendor, because I'm a different buyer type within the same large enterprise. You see, the flexibility of being able to meet the buyer where they want to be is going to be very critical for an organization's ongoing success, and that depends on the go-to-market function. Again, these are my personal beliefs, but my observation across you know, vendors, my own interaction with customers, it has shifted significantly to a customer-centric model as opposed to a vendor-centric sales model. So I got a follow-up question on that one. So I'm not going to agree or disagree. What I'm going to ask you is if you are, and we have a lot of listeners that are, sales development leaders, SDR leaders, inside sales leaders, as well as reps, what should they be thinking about? How should they be thinking about their future? What should they be doing right now to not just become obsolete? Understanding the end-to-end buyer journey. Mapping the buyer journey is a really critical part. It's a responsibility of any go-to-market leader is understanding what your typical buyer journey looks like first and make the customer the center of that. Define what the buyer journey is and then determine what role you're going to play within that sales cycle. And if, as a BDR, I realize that it looks like my buyer is well aware of my solution, it's a very mature domain and a very mature market, and the incremental value that I'm going to be bringing to the sales process is shrinking rapidly, there's more For, as an example, a metric would be there's more inbound than outbound success. There's more customers already coming in and asking me, how can I buy your solution or tell me more about your solution? Then it means that there's more inbound demand, there's outbound demand. Outbound is when you're trying to either evangelize a domain or a solution or you are trying to break into a market that is hitherto not been, you know, defined well and clearly. And so that's where outbound conversation is a lot more. But when there's inbound, then it's a mature market. So the signals should be, it is going to shrink even further because it can be automated. It can be curated. There are tools out there that I can go there and the chatbot will exactly lead me to the solution that I need based on how I respond. So there are AI tools that are out there that are becoming a lot more efficient at guiding a interested buyer. So if I were in the marketing business, I'd be looking at shifting that into a little bit of a hybrid lead development process where I use a combination of digital business development tools and or solutions and a combination of humans where there's going to be a more engaged, complex solution sale type model. So I cannot profess to say how a BDR leader or a marketing leader should think, but I think they should understand how their buyer uh, is uh, shifting and shift their own professional motivations accordingly into the areas where they'll have the maximum impact. Because the pressure is going to be on of having qualified leads, right? MQLs, these are all metrics that everybody's measured on. And the more mature the market, the more qualified the buyer in the solution journey. We know the parabola that happens mature markets. If you are in emerging markets and if you are in the beginning of a breakthrough technology and or environment or a domain, then 
naturally you need more people to handhold the customer through the buying process. But once you reach that mature market area with the top of the parabola, then I would say that a good combination of digital and human engagement would be perhaps more appropriate uh, so we don't see this inefficiency in the marketing process of, you know, I get 9% hit rate, like 10%. Why do we need to accept that level of conversion when you could do a, a lot more by engaging the customer with digital assets that they may be looking for? I think, Maha, to your point and where Howard's going on this as well, what I've always thought of and advise and, and attempt to do. You're absolutely right on the outside in approach, right? For the customer engagement. And then instead of letting our CRN system guide us by stages, it really is just a collection of jobs and tasks that a buyer needs to complete. And they don't do them sequentially. And so my advice to Howard's question of you know, heads of STRs, ISRs, and beyond Yes, know the buyer journey, but just think of the tasks and then ask who is best suited in my org to solve that task in the most capital efficient way, right? So to your point, digital content, I actually probably still need an ISR potentially to help with certain aspects of that. And I don't want a $400,000 a year seller to do that piece of it, right? But that's a task and that task may happen in stage four as well as stage one, stage two, stage five of their, whatever their sales process is and so forth, right? So it's really thinking of the jobs and tasks that need to be completed by functional area. Not so much the, hey, I did something, I passed off at stage two, I'm out of here, yeah. right? Because we're trying to win more every company, win rates are stalling. The tasks are still needing to get done and people just kind of fall in this binary of handoff type thing. So outside in, focus on the task, job to be done, and then think of your team as assets that are responsible for the task as opposed to the stage. Totally, totally. I think you took a sneak peek at the ebook that we are planning to release <laughs> a few weeks from now. Actually, uh, I have two close collaborators, Channing Ferrer, he's a, a CRO at SEMrush and Richard Spro. He is in, from Insight Partners. So the three of us are collaborating on this book on revenue acceleration. And this is exactly what we are talking about in there, which is task-based selling process and identifying those repeatable tasks that can be automated. So first you optimize and then you automate those tasks and then you hand them over to a tool or some sort of a digital media. And then you shift as, as you identify those repeatable tasks that can be automated, then you can slowly shift more closer to the human interactions and there you can further optimize that human interaction, right? So that's exactly what we are propagating. Rather than functional silos and data silos that exist out there, we're talking about a horizontal way in which pods can be created based on the outcome that we want to drive. And so we are actually talking there about removing these data silos and, and functional silos so that we can collaborate a lot more and a lot more closer to get to the desired outcome and accelerate revenue. You know, what I love about this is you mentioned tasks. And when you think about a lot of people, and you, you mentioned it, try to understand your buyer's journey. And I think what Alistair alluded to is a buyer's journey is fairly convoluted today. And there are multiple stakeholders in that buying committee that go through very different journeys depending on what is motivating them, 
What are they trying to solve for? And if we think about the customer, the buyer, and put them in the center, and we think about all of the things that they need, all the assets they need to help them, don't worry about the exact order, but make it available to them and easy for them to learn and get that information. Amen. It's more of a let them pull the type of information, make it available. And when they need the human being, make sure that human being is just like the other assets. One, congruent with the same messaging and the same value prop and the same way of speaking. And two, don't shove it down their throat. Wait for them to need that part of the process so that, again, it's helping a buyer buy. None of us, except for maybe my wife and I'm God bless her, but none of us are professional buyers, right? Like it's just not something you go to school for, except for maybe if you're a procurement person. We need help in buying. That's our job as go-to-market teams is to help people buy. Absolutely. Sometimes we forget, we get so caught up. We were having a conversation last week with a couple of us around enablement and how enablement just keeps driving you know, you just tell the seller, this is how you sell. Here's this methodology. Here's everything you need to do. And they forget that there's a customer at the other end of this journey. And so we put so much pressure on the seller. We enable them. We give them all these methodologies, whatever kind of sale that is out there, right? We throw all these processes at them and we give them this blue book and we put them through a forecasting process. And it's all vendor-centric. There's no customer-centric conversation that happens anywhere within the process, right? The power is now in the hands of the customer, the buyer, you, me, everybody. We all are customers in our own little world that we've created around ourselves. We cannot walk into a store and then the customer says, take a ticket, wait in line, and uh, you have to go there and there and there before you go and get to your phone. And I go, okay, thank you very much. I'm going to go online. I'm going to go buy. I know exactly what I need. I don't need to go through a three-step process to get exactly what I think I need. I may change my mind when I get to you, but I don't want to be managed mm-hmm. through my buying process. So the freedom not to be managed in a buying process and sort of this convergence of B2C and B2B buying processes, it's it's definitely a paradigm shift. It's absolutely a paradigm shift. It's gonna it's gonna hit us. There are some CEOs that are actually seriously thinking about this. They are looking at, and here I'm going to step into, into some dangerous territory. The sales officer was sort of this godlike person, right? Everything centered around sales and whatever sales wanted, sales got. I was one of them. I still am one of them as a part of sales organization. But you know who is now getting a lot of importance? Is this customer success, the person that's nurturing and growing customers, right? So there's already a shift that's going on and and CEOs are thinking about how do I grow, not just acquire. And that comes from engaging with the customer, defining what the buyer journey looks like end to end. And it doesn't end at the contract. In most cases, it begins at the contract because you're now expanding the customer relationship. So there's already a shift that's going on around where's the center of gravity happening inside an organization which used to be very sales-centric or product-centric, right? It used to be, there's all this talk about PLG, about being product-led growth. 
I think they're all in our rear view mirror. And we're looking at more like CLG, which is customer-led growth. But the customer is going to tell us exactly where they want to go. And we have to be available for them, Howard, to your point, exactly how they need us, where they need us, and with whatever they need us to do, as long as it's associated with our roadmap. And it is a definite shift that, that we are seeing as well in our buyer behavior. I am chomping at the bit to bite on that. <laughs> but uh, we are, I got Dave, our producer, pinging us about it. You got you to gotta move this on. We're going to run out of time. I'm going to pause us there. And I'm going to hope that we can have you back and actually dive into that more. Is the connectivity of growing, not just acquiring. And how we do that and where we invest and the ops changes need to occur, I think is, is a fantastic follow-up on there. And, and yes, I think, I think I would love to. But I am going to pause us because I got to get us through to some quick things on some trivia. And then if, if uh, time permitting on your schedule, I will have you back and we'll dive right into that. So with that said, are you ready for this week's trivia question that we love to ask every guest? Uh-oh. Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to be a little unfair on this one because you're one of the more experienced people that we've had on that uh, knows a lot of facts and figures and your head's down in the, you know, the future of sales and making predictions. I'm going to give you a piece of trivia here from 2018. Uh-oh. The question is, according to Gardner's prediction, what percentage of all B2B sales jobs may be eliminated by 2020, three years ago, due to artificial intelligence and advanced automation. One, did they say 15% to 33%? C, 50%. Hmm, 15 seems too low. 50 seems too high. 33 seems average, but Gartner's never average. So I'll probably go with 50%. Uh, I, I appreciate the call out of Gartner never being average. It's a uh, recovering analyst myself. They actually went with 33% was the prediction they made in 2018. Now, I want to bring that up to set the stage for our next conversation as well, because Gartner got that wrong massively. Because what has actually happened from 2018 through to here we are in 2023 today, all of these teams have expanded. All of these teams have got bigger. All of the investments have got more complex and the technology has got even more robust. And I'd love to suggest that artificial intelligence is actually going to be an accelerator of more of these jobs, but it's a question of what the job is. So when you say Gartner back in 2018 was wrong, was this a piece of research that you did that you're going to include the role to? Because I mean, <laughs> no, I, I was there in 2018, so I'll plead the fit. How about that? We'll, we'll go from there. Maha, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on as co-host. I'm going to cut Howard off before he, uh, he you know, chops my knees off further with the Gartner stuff. And uh, we would love to have you back on the future episode where we'll dive into more of the ops changes, the roles changes, and where sales 3.0 is headed. Looking forward to continuing this. Thank you. Thanks so much. And everybody, please remember to like and subscribe. Don't forget to call in your questions as well. Howard and I will always do our best to answer them on a future episode. And we'll see you next Thursday. Thursday.